The Kennedy men always had a fascination with Hollywood movie stars. It started with Joe Kennedy. In the 1930s, he invested in a Hollywood studio and produced dozens of cheap westerns and thrillers. He loved the Hollywood scene and had trysts with several of the leading ladies of the day, none more famous than Gloria Swanson. It was an open secret that the two were an item. In fact, Gloria and her husband were frequent guests of Joe's and Roe Kennedy, and once the two couples even traveled to Europe together. Like fathers, like sons. Joe Kennedy Jr. and his younger brother Jack both spent time in California, and both dated the hottest Hollywood starlets of the day. Jack was linked to Gene Tierney, Angie Dickinson, and Marlena Dietrich, among others. The Kennedy's younger sister, Pat, in fact, married into Hollywood royalty when she wed Peter Lawford, one of the famous Brat Pack. This served as Jack's entree into the upper echelons of Hollywood society. He traveled to California many times as a senator and later as president, and was guest at several high-powered parties. He became friends with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Shirley MacLaine. Then one day in 1962, at another dinner party thrown by his sister and brother-in-law, he met one of the biggest stars of all, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn was in a slump at that time. She was 36, and that was fast approaching over-the-hill territory for a movie star in the 1960s. She hadn't had a hit film since the late 50s, and had just gotten fired from her latest job for her consistent lateness. She'd been in and out of rehab for years. But, after all, it was a party, and he was the president, and the two of them seemed to hit it off. According to Marilyn's friend Lee Strasberg, the two of them spent the night together. Was it the beginning of a bi-coastal, star-crossed love affair, or just a one-night stand? Only two people could give a definitive answer to that question, and within 18 months, they would both be dead. So mix up a daiquiri, one of President Kennedy's favorite drinks, and listen to the tale of the president and the movie star. They couldn't have come from two more different worlds. Jack Kennedy grew up in the lap of luxury. His father made his fortune in the stock market in the 1920s, then sold his portfolio right before the crash. They had homes in New York, Palm Beach, and Hyannisport. He went to the finest schools, graduating from Harvard. In the late 1930s, Joe Sr. was appointed ambassador to the Court of St. James, and they lived in London during the war. Norma Jean Baker, on the other hand, was born in Los Angeles in 1924. She never knew who her father was, and her mother gave her up for adoption and placed her in an orphanage. Until she was 16, she alternated between the orphanage and foster homes. She was sexually abused by some of her caregivers. When she was seven, her mother was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic and committed to a state hospital. She rarely saw her daughter after that. When she was 16, 
she married the son of her foster parent's neighbor, largely to avoid having to go back to the orphanage. She dropped out of school and began a modeling career. By 1946, she had signed a contract with 20th Century Fox, dyed her brunette hair platinum blonde, and changed her name to Marilyn Monroe. Jack Kennedy's star also continued to rise. He enlisted in the Navy, and in 1943, he was skipper of PT-109, a patrol and torpedo boat. On a dark night, his boat was rammed by a Japanese destroyer and cut in half. Kennedy saved some of his crew by swimming to an island where they hid from Japanese patrols for six days until they were rescued. He was awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Medal and the Purple Heart. His father made sure that his story was published in national magazines. After spending several months in the hospital, recovering from malaria and back injuries, Jack announced his candidacy for Congress. His slogan? The new generation offers a leader. By the early 1950s, Marilyn had become one of the most popular young female actors in Hollywood. She was named the It Girl of 1952. She had roles in such box office hits as The Seven-Year Itch and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. She began dating the retired New York Yankee Joe DiMaggio, and they eventually married. But Marilyn was gaining a reputation as being someone very difficult to work with. She was frequently late for shooting and demanded more and more control over her projects. She also had a hard time remembering her lines. She was very nervous and had difficulty sleeping. She began taking barbiturates and amphetamines, and her drinking increased to dangerous levels. Jack Kennedy was never happy in the House of Representatives. His primary interest was in foreign affairs. In 1952, he was elected to the Senate and almost immediately began thinking about an eventual presidential run. In 1956, he narrowly lost a race for the vice presidential nomination. Four years later, he reached the top becoming the youngest man to be elected president. By 1960, Marilyn Starr had faded. She had divorced Joe DiMaggio and married the playwright Arthur Miller in the mid-50s, but her health was failing, and her drug and alcohol addiction was taking its toll. She was fired from the set of Something's Got to Give. Rumor has it, that the president asked her to come to his birthday party in New York in May to sing Happy Birthday. More likely, it was a publicity stunt. But regardless of the reason, she did appear in a tight, rhinestone-bedecked dress and presented that infamous, breathy version of Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Less than three months later, on October 4, 1962, she shut her bedroom door and called a few of her friends. She told them goodbye. At 3.30 a.m., her housekeeper said that she noticed a bedroom light was still on. She knocked on the door, but there was no answer. She called Marilyn's doctor, who broke a window to gain entry. Marilyn was in bed, the telephone receiver clutched in her hand. She was dead. The autopsy listed the cause of death as a drug overdose and a probable suicide. 
For more than ten years, no one gave much thought to Marilyn's death. It appeared to be just another sad Hollywood story. An aging actress, her career in shambles, her marriage over, ended it all in an orgy of pills and booze. But then, in the 1970s, the conspiracy theorists began to weigh in. Marilyn didn't commit suicide, they said. She was murdered. Murdered by who, you ask? Well, Robert Kennedy, of course. According to this line of thinking, Marilyn was bugging Jack, and Jack turned to his loyal brother to fix things. Bobby flew to Los Angeles to tell Marilyn it was over. But Marilyn became hysterical, and Bobby tried to calm her down. One thing led to another, and they ended up in bed. Marilyn had ensnared the second Kennedy. According to this theory... Marilyn also kept a red diary where she detailed all the secrets the Kennedys had confided during Pillow Talk. Bobby enlisted the help of two Los Angeles police detectives and J. Edgar Hoover. They ransacked her house, beat Marilyn to within an inch of her life, and then her own doctor shot her full of barbiturates and killed her. Or, the CIA murdered her. She was, that thinking went, a known communist sympathizer. And since the Kennedys may have told her state secrets during their liaisons, getting rid of her was a matter of national security. Or the mob did it. Since Sam Giacana's girlfriend cheated on him with Jack Kennedy, they took revenge by killing his girlfriend. Or, and this may be the wildest theory of all, the aliens did it. Apparently, JFK had told Marion about the alien landing at Roswell. And those aliens, in conjunction with the CIA, of course, were afraid that she would reveal their existence to the world. So, was Marilyn Monroe murdered? Or did she commit suicide? Another question that may never be answered, but maybe once again, the simplest answer, though not the most fun answer, might just be the right answer. Thank you, Dad. Such a good uh, part two of our little series here. I actually have another theory that you didn't mention, so it's it's also on the very wild side, but we will get to that. Okay. Before I get into the fashion trends of the crime sponsored by Style All Mode, I did want to fulfill my promise of impersonating the breathy happy birthday, Mr. President, uh, sung by Marilyn Monroe. I'm going to try and sing that myself. Well, I can't wait. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. How was that? It was, I just uh, sung with Vega. Vega. 
Thank you. Thank you. You deserve some clam chowder. I've been practicing all morning. All right. Well, as we all know, unless you live under a rock, Marilyn Monroe was known for her feminine curves and sex appeal, and she dressed to emphasize the curves that her audience loved so much. A lot of women identified with her because she had a real body, like she wasn't the stick-thin model and actress that everyone was used to, and she would be today's size 8, which is still um, considered plus size, even though that's ridiculous, but... Um, Her body made her more relatable, and she also could be seen in photographs showing, like, stomach rolls and just didn't really care to look skinny, or she was just having fun and being herself. Until, of course, they made her change her look and get surgery, but, you know, that's that comes with the territory, I guess, of being a star. Uh, Some staples in her wardrobe were high-waisted bikini bottoms with strapless bikini tops, gowns that hugged her curves, crop tops, and bright lipstick. And now I want to talk about the white dress, the one that she uh, wore while she was promoting the seven-year itch. And that is the dress where we see the famous photograph of her standing over a subway grate, and then she was caught by a draft of wind, and she has to hold her dress down. And every girl, we try and recreate that photo, but none of us look as good as Marilyn. Uh, the dress was designed by Billy Travilla, Travilla, depends on where he's from, uh, as that silly little dress, or he described it as that silly little dress, and it sold in 2011 for $3.6 million. Ouch. Yep. And, and that little white dress and that scene may have actually led to the demise of her marriage with Joe DiMaggio. Oh, do tell. And Well, evidently he was on the set that day, and, and uh, when they shot the, the air up from the grate to blow her dress up, uh, he lost it. He thought Jealous? that was, yes, he thought it was vulgar. He did not like his wife showing herself off like that on a set with a lot of other men. They, they were already having problems, but... Right. Uh, but that may have been the straw that broke Jolton Joe's back. Huh. I didn't know that. It's funny. Uh, she was also seen with a fur shawl at red carpet events and at the happy birthday, Mr. President. She has a fur little shawl thing on. Marilyn was intimidated by high fashion, and she didn't care to follow trends at all. I found a quote in the book Marilyn in Manhattan, Her Year of Joy, and the book is by Elizabeth Winder or Winder, uh, the quote was, a dress, however beautiful, would always just be a flattering frame. It was her face, her body, her hair, and skin that were on show. And I think that's true. I think she had such a vibrant look just and personality being mm-hmm. herself that she didn't need crazy clothes to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she... I. It is theorized that this is why she favored neutrals. Uh, most, if not all, of her looks were black creamy whites or caramel with touches of bronze. And after her divorce with Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn did undergo a bit of a style makeover. This was in 1954. She escaped to Connecticut following the sudden divorce. I also read about this in that novel, Marilyn in Manhattan, Her Year of Joy. Uh, The photographer Milton Green and his wife Amy took Marilyn in at their 11-acre farm in Weston, Connecticut, and Marilyn stayed there for 29 days. Amy went to her friend, uh, fashion designer Anne Klein, 
Anne Klein is a pretty big name, uh, and had eight winter outfits sent to her home in Connecticut for Marilyn because Marilyn had no proper winter clothes, despite it being December in the Northeast United <laughs> States. Uh, Milton had issues with Marilyn's style, so he loved to photograph her, but he hated her wardrobe. And he said, look, you have something that looks fantastic on screen, but you walk around like a slob. Look at Katherine Hepburn. She has a certain style. You need a certain something, something other than cheap blonde sex pot. Rude. They did help refine her style. Amy was a former model, and she always looked really chic. She purchased 50 pairs of closed-toed, three-and-a-half-inch spike-heeled Italian shoes at Delco that Marilyn wore for the rest of her life. Amy also bought Marilyn cashmere sweaters, and she had designers George Nardiello and Normal Norell over for dinner so they could plan Marilyn's new wardrobe, and they created a capsule wardrobe, talking about capsule wardrobes again, for Marilyn of black sheets and slips under slipper satin skin-tight dresses. So she's still kept to her roots with the skin-tight dresses, but they were a little more refined than what she was wearing before, and they fit her better, and they just looked better. Any thoughts on Marilyn's style? Well, you forgot one one style that Marilyn was photographed in on, on more than one occasion. What's that? Where um, all of the clothes were actually left in the closet. Marilyn did a fam- very famous <laughs> nude spread for Playboy when she oh. was just getting started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the last uh, photo shoot that she did was either the day before or maybe the day of her death. A photographer came to her house, uh, did a series of, of shots with her and some lingerie, and then a series of nudes. So, mm. uh, And Marilyn never really shied away from, from nude photography, evidently. Mm. Hm. I didn't see that. Mm. Probably because when I looked up her style. They talk about clothes. Yes. That's probably why I didn't see that. Well, that's kind of a style. <laughs> it is. It is. Commando. Commando, yes. Birthday suit. Yes. And by the way, isn't this segment of our podcast sponsored by Style a la Mode? Yes. I think you may have forgotten to mention that. I oh, know. I th- I thought I did, but maybe it was just in well, my Well, now head. we've done but it yes, twice. Now we've done it twice. Style a la Mode, personal styling and event business in Kansas City, the town we call home. Sound like a radio personality. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we will get into our discussion of our conspiracy theories. Okay. All right, Dad. Why did you choose the daiquiri this week? And will you describe it for us? Well, I wanted to choose a, a cocktail that was um, that was associated with President Kennedy. Um, he had... Uh, probably two cocktails that he really enjoyed one was a bloody mary and then the other is the uh, is the daiquiri the daiquiri i think has gotten a raw deal in the last 20 or 30 years we think of daiquiris today we think of a slushy it's a frozen drink with a little umbrella in it and a straw and a bunch of crushed ice the the actual daiquiri however is uh, is uh, is much more simple than that it is uh it's rum and lime juice with Demeray sugar syrup. And Demeray is a, a pure cane, uh, kind of brownish sugar. We garnish it with a lime twist. Wonderful drink to sip out uh, on the patio by the pool in the summer. But uh, clearly we don't need to put a bunch of fruit and ice and coconut in a blender. Yes. And we can get we can get that from the slushy machine at 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. 
So that is the daiquiri. Glad to hear what the daiquiri really is. And maybe I'll like it now. But yeah, I hate strawberry daiquiris. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to trying this one. Um, Okay, so I found some some conspiracy theories that you talked about and a couple that were a little different. One thing that was pointed out in my research was that her death might have been staged, which you kind of talked about. I saw it took over three hours for the ambulance to arrive Mm -hmm. from when the housekeeper called. Mm -hmm. Did you see that? Is that true? Well, I, I have heard that, but again, I think we have to remember this was, well, what, almost... 60 years ago mm-hmm. the people who were there most of them are dead now yeah um it it did seem a little weird that the housekeeper would instead of calling an ambulance or the police call the doctor but again remember this is 1962 we didn't have a 911 system mm-hmm. back then she called someone that that she knew knew Marilyn and and happened to be a doctor so I don't think that's strange that she called the doctor instead of an ambulance mm-hmm. you know I just I I have not read about this to know enough it doesn't strike me as all that strange if the doctor came saw she was dead pronounced her dead called the police and then the ambulance shows up to pull the body away I I don't know if that's necessarily evidence that the whole thing was staged mm-hmm. could be I don't know Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the doctor, he did break the window to her bedroom to get in, mm-hmm. but some people have criticized that it looks like it was broken from the inside mm-hmm. to make it look like he broke to get in. So that's another. Yeah, thing. I've I've heard that too, and in fact, there is a there was a podcast that came out last year that is that has advanced a lot of these theories by someone who has investigated the Monroe death for. For years, what, do you know the name? The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. Ooh, it's an eight or nine up. part podcast, so I'm sure I've not listened to it, but I bet she goes into into great detail. Mm-hmm. Um, the two men who brought Marilyn to the morgue thought her body looked weird. They thought it looked fake, and that her neck was bloated. But when you're dead, your body bloats. Right. And, and how long does I don't know how long it takes. The 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 accounts I've read indicate that um, rigor mortis had set in by the time everybody got there. So they, they estimate that she died probably about 8.30. If the housekeeper called the doctor at 3.30, that's seven hours? Math. Uh, it's about seven yes, hours. Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by the time the coroner shows up and, and the investigation takes place and the body actually gets to the morgue, she's probably been sitting in a in the in a California house with no air conditioning on an August day for you know maybe twelve or fourteen hours, so uh, the fact that the body's bloated mm-hmm. doesn't really surprise me. Well, she was also found on her stomach, so that mm-hmm. means all the blood would have been in the front of her, and mm-hmm. when they carried her out on the stretcher, she was probably on her back. So yeah, she probably yeah. did look weird. Yeah, on the top of her. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's where the rigor mortis would have mm-hmm. set in. Other policemen who were first on the scene, or those two men weren't policemen, but the first policeman on the scene did think it looked too neat because all of her pill bottles were just sitting there nice and neat and there was no like glass of water, no glass of any sort of drinking liquid in the room, uh, which is weird because she took a 
bunch mm-hmm. of pills, supposedly, mm-hmm. and it is difficult to dry swallow that many pills. Right. If she took them in bed. True. I mean, this was her house. She could have taken the pills. Uh, went to the bathroom and taken the pills, taken them out in the kitchen. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is strange. I mean, obviously, you, you need something to wash them down with. There was also no trace of the pills in her bloodstream or her stomach during the autopsy. The coroner, the man who did the autopsy, Tommy Noguchi, wrote a book, and he indicated that's not true. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Well, that they they found they found evidence of exactly what kind of pills were were in her body in her bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know someone said something about in her liver. Well, obviously she was a drug addict, and you're going to find right. you're going to find traces of that in your liver. Well, let's say it's not, or it is true. <laughs> Some people did say that maybe the pills were so strong that they killed her before they entered the bloodstream, but that sounded mm-hmm. weird to me too. Yeah. So and didn't make any sense. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1982, uh, the uh, the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office revisited the case and reo- mm-hmm. they reopened it. That's when all the conspiracy theories really began to heat up in the mid 70s and 80s. And finally, the the L.A. Uh, Police uh, District Attorney looked into the case again. They issued a 33 page report and didn't didn't find anything different than the original findings. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, again, conspiracy theorists like to say, well, of course they wouldn't. It was a police cover-up from the get-go. Mm-hmm. That's always the wonderful thing about conspiracy theories. We can always look back, <laughs> and, and if we don't like something, say, well, obviously it was a cover-up. Obviously. Well, and I know last week I was all gung-ho on a conspiracy theory for JFK. Mm-hmm. This one, spoiler alert, I do not think this was... I think that she either committed suicide or it was an accidental overdose. I think there's a lot of evidence leading to that conclusion aside from the physical evidence. I think everything that was happening in her life, like you said, yeah, I I believe this was a suicide, but... Yeah, she and she had tried to kill herself before. Right. But people have said, well, was it really a serious attempt because she would take the pills and then call the doctor and have her stomach pumped? Um... But she was clearly unbalanced by this time. Her life had, had really just gone gone downhill. Mm-hmm. So it's sad. Yeah, it is. Lastly, on this, uh, maybe it was staged, I saw that maybe she was given the pills up her butt mm-hmm. through an enema. Yes. And I've seen that was one. killed that way. I've seen that one, too. But there but was no enema found. No. But then, no. of course, the theory is, well, of course it wasn't found. They took it with them after they did it. Yes. So, like, they knocked her out with a rag and then whatever. But, eh. I don't know. Well, I, I like I said, I, I think I think some of these conspiracy theories are just way out there. But I, tell me a little bit more about the alien conspiracy theory. Oh, yes. that, that's my favorite. I, I'd, ne- I'd heard these others, but I'd never heard that one. Well, you may know more than I on this. I just saw that JFK must have had knowledge of aliens and UFOs and Area 51, whatever goes on there, that none of us will ever know unless we're president. Um, But, or in the CIA, I guess. And that maybe he told Marilyn about this and she knew too much. And Yeah, that's the gist of it. And that that we had to to get rid of her because Mm -hmm. she was about to 
talk about the aliens among us. But why get rid of her because someone told her something when there are people, hello, Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, who have experienced an alien abduction? Why would we not get rid of those people? So this is dumb. Yes. I mean, we knew it was dumb before. Mm-hmm. Dumb before. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that one is pretty cool. I, I do believe in aliens. I, I think there's no way that we're the only living beings in our universe. But So hey, maybe they'll kill me because I just said that. Same here. Now here's one I had not heard of before. I had not heard the Marilyn has faked her death scenario. This is my favorite. Tell me about that one. <laughs> So some people said that, as you said, she had tried to kill herself and then would call the doctor and whatever. So some, her friends wouldn't have put it past her to do this as a publicity stunt to help her career or to try and guilt Joe DiMaggio because they had just spoken on the phone. And I think, I think, I think what I read is they had just spoken on the phone and he basically ended things with her because they were still getting together and we're still talking. One of the last people she called uh, was actually Joe DiMaggio Jr. Oh, she was really? still she was still friendly with him, obviously her former stepson, mm-hmm. and she called him to say goodbye. Oh, well, um, there's also rumored. Well, and Joe DiMaggio apparently sent flowers to her grave every week. For, he's he's dead, I assume. He yes, is for oh, the rest yeah. of his life. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's sweet yeah. and sad. So they loved each other, but they just weren't a good Hollywood. Well, mm-hmm. Hollywood isn't good at marriage, so, you know. And they obviously had a t- toxic relationship. Uh, so it was also rumored that Dr. Greenson, the doctor we've been referring to, convinced her to do this, to get more famous, knowing she would die. So she thought she'd just get her stomach pumped and she'd be fine, but then... It, Maybe it didn't work, or maybe he knew she would die and was going to help her. Mm-hmm. So that was one. Um, so she went in thinking she would fake her death or, like, scare everyone. And here's the one that I like the most. Some think Marilyn was just tired of the fame and the pressure, and she wanted to live in peace. And maybe there was a plan with JFK, or Bobby for that matter, that later on they were going to run away. And they would live happily ever after, but then they both died. Hmm. And this is uh, not credible, but a woman said that she saw Marilyn on a beach on June 28th, 2009. And actually 26 people on the same beach reported that they saw Marilyn Monroe. And this woman said she went up to her and was like, hi, Marilyn. Oh, my gosh. Blah, blah, blah but then claims that Marilyn was whisked away by a man in a coat. So they think that Marilyn is in the witness protection program because of what she knows about aliens. Well, that's, <laughs> a, that's a new, I'm following it, but I'm just curious. I mean, uh, on June 28th, 2009, Marilyn would have been 80, 85 years old. Right. So and how would you and 26 ready? people recognized her, unless she's, we've got an 85-year-old woman on a beach wearing a skin-tight dress with a fake beauty mark and a platinum blonde wig. Right. And of course, that's the real Marilyn. I wonder if Elvis was there. Could too. be. Could be. Maybe. So that's the uh, faked her own death theory. 
I don't think so. I don't put a lot of credence <laughs> in that one. I don't think so. And then, similar to JFK, of course, we have CIA slash FBI did it and Mafia mm-hmm. did it. Pretty much for the same reasons that we said last week. Mm-hmm. And it ties mm-hmm. into she knew too much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And something that this really reminds me of is Brittany Murphy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Brittany mm-hmm. Murphy. And mm-hmm. There was a big conspiracy about how she died and then her husband died very shortly after. Mm-hmm. And she knew, she had said, we should do an episode about this sometime, but basically she was being wiretapped by the government because she said something on mm. TV or something. So, yeah, crazy. This kind of reminds me of that because she was a young, famous woman and got pneumonia and died. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of. 30 year old just dies from who doesn't have a pre-existing condition i love that story because i really remember britney murphy and i love britney murphy so Mm -hmm. yeah well i think we've talked this one to death don't you no pun intended (laughs) yep so next week i'm excited i'm gonna have to watch chappaquiddick to prepare myself but that is the subject of our third episode in this series you want to give them a little taste of what Chappaquiddick is in case they don't know well it was in 1969 when the youngest Kennedy brother Ted was being promoted as a possible uh, presidential candidate and um, there was a party with some of Bobby Kennedy's old uh, campaign workers one of whom was a young blonde named Mary Jo Kopechny and uh, Ted was supposedly giving her a ride back to the hotel where he took a wrong turn and drove his car off a bridge into uh, Chappaquiddick Sound off the coast of New Hampshire. I'm sorry, Massachusetts. And uh, according to uh, to Senator Kennedy, uh, he got out of the car and made several attempts to dive back to get Mary Jo out of the car, but the water was too dark and cold, and he was unable to do it. So he ran to get help, and uh, in his words, or at least... I don't know if he really said Someone's it, but it's pretty cool. Um, and when I returned, Mary Jo and the car were gone. <laughs> and so again, you know, all the conspiracy, really all the conspiracy theories about that one. Um, we'll 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 talk about uh, Ted Kennedy uh, next week. Yep. And if you if you want to be prepared, you should definitely watch that movie. It came out pretty recently. I don't. Uh, what's her name? Uh, one of the, the sister of the girl on Dragon Tattoo movie. Oh, God. Anyway, I'll put it on Facebook. But, yes. Uh, you should watch that with us. It's not a bad, it's not a bad movie, yeah, uh, as good. far as I think it follows the facts pretty closely. Kate Rooney. Rooney? Oh, no. I'll put it on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And we will see you next week for Chappaquiddick. Okay. Rooney Mara. Or her sister. One of the <laughs> two. That's it. Okay, bye. Bye. This has been Cocktails of Crime and Fashion. Join our VIP Facebook group to discuss cocktails, crime, and fashion, and to watch exclusive videos and content. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cocktails of Crime and Fashion. We also have merch. There is a link in the episode notes. Cocktails of Crime and Fashion was written and produced by Mike Norland and Macy Norland Burkett. Our editor is Kate Mays. Thank you to Alex Joaquim for composing our theme music and to Kaylee Bitter for designing our cover art.